Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I am Charlie Folkstead and you are Reed Tingley. The Ducks get a big win over the Huskies. Bigger than Vegas expected, bigger than some people may have expected. And yet smaller than, the scoreline was smaller than uh, maybe it should have been, Reed. Um, Before we jump into the game, how'd your weekend go? Uh, Weekend was good. It was consumed with with the UW game pretty much um, after a more raucous Halloween weekend, I kind of <laughs> stayed in, watched a lot of football, hung around. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was good. What about you? You, you were the one who took the big trip, man. Yeah, bro. I've been all over the damn place. Um, <laughs> I drove up to Portland on Friday, stayed with my family. My dad and I drove up uh, Saturday. He had a ticket. I was in the box. Um, stayed with some friends. <sighs> I, I'll spare like listeners with a bunch of the, I, I won't go through the whole like weekend story or anything, but, um, I would just like to say that the, the press box food, I was pretty unimpressed with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I recapped Oregon's press box food last week, so I guess I'll have to do it for UW now. Um, I drank, I had nothing but coffee and popcorn for about five hours while I was there. Uh, it was so damn cold in that press box and they would not close the windows. Um, which like, I'm kind of in favor of that, honestly, cause I like, you know, hearing the crowd and everything. Uh, right. it was super nice, like sound wise and we we're undercover and everything. So there's no threat of rain, but still, man, I was it was so freezing. Like all we could do was like use coffee to like some extremely hot coffee, by the way, like unfathomably hot coffee. (laughs) Um, and you just had to wrap your fingers around it all game when you weren't typing. Um, which I was. And, uh, by the way, if you're listening to this, you should follow at ODE sports on Twitter. That's the daily Emerald sports page. Uh, I live tweeted from it last week or this, yesterday i guess god it doesn't feel like yesterday and i'll probably be doing that in the future so check that out i put out a gamer a game recap um and so did my editor who was with me shane hoffman he's a great writer so go check those out on dailyemerald.com and uh yeah it was a lot of fun um i saw phil knight there didn't talk to him at all but i saw him getting off the elevator so that was kind of surreal um and yeah man we we Took it to him, even though, again, like I mentioned, we should have scored more points. It was still extremely fun for that to end the way it did. So you want to open up with your thoughts on this game? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, I think overall, uh, I kind of put this out on Twitter, too. I think obviously there's a lot of stuff ahead for this Ducks game, for this Ducks team, but I kind of go back to where we were at in August and the conversations we were having on this podcast and the debates I had with other Ducks fans on Twitter, just about, you know, what does this season look like? What's the outlook here? Um, We reminded a lot of people that Oregon's win total going into this year was nine and three, according to Vegas, um, as was Washington's uh, for the record, you know, whatever you want to say about how they look this year, like, Let's remind ourselves in August, what this team was looking at was we had a huge test at Ohio State. Everyone wanted to at least be competitive in that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
then as it led up to it with the injuries, most people thought we didn't have a shot in it. Obviously, we got a win. Huge thing. Um, and then the other than that, the whole talk this whole offseason was you got to beat UW this year because this is Washington's last chance with their better recruits. Um, they're about to kind of fall over a cliff. And if you can just put them to bed right now, you have a chance to really take control of the North for the foreseeable future. Um, and no one really knew whether Oregon or Washington was going to be better. I think both fan bases obviously had their confidences in their side and, and weighed the pros and cons there. But again, these were co-favorites in the North, according to Vegas. Uh, and both fan bases were, you know, thought that they had a real legit shot. Um, and so to look back at where we were then, and now you look at how the season is going for Oregon, you have to feel pretty good about where the Ducks are, not only because they're 8-1 and one and they're probably going to be third in the playoff rankings on, on Tuesday, but also because, you know, you have Oregon, you have Washington, you have USC kind of as those powers in the North recently, or not in the North, in the Pac-12 recently. Um, a lot of recruiting competition between those three schools. And guess what? UW and USC right now are four and five, mm -hmm. and Oregon is eight and one. Um, so that's a pretty huge thing uh, for the Ducks and puts them in a great position going forward. Uh, and I think that personally, I have a lot less stress about the Oregon program after what we've seen them pass those two tests versus Ohio State and Washington that we really wanted them to play well in going into the year. And now it's about kind of an uphill push towards the playoffs from here on out. Exactly. And we'll get into more playoff talk as the episode goes on. People who've listened to us before know that that's sort of our layout for these. Um, but uh, let's dig into this game a little bit, Reed. Um, shaky start, to say the least, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, and I'm curious to, to see what your thoughts were at this point, but when that safety happened, I had to tell myself not to get nervous. Um, and the only reason was because, again, we hadn't seen Washington's offense actually do anything yet. They had six yards and, of offense and nine points. Um, and they had two good plays on defense that essentially had had them with a 9-0 lead at that point. But in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, there's, I don't know how many points are going to get scored in this game. Like, a nine-point swing to start things off is not how Oregon wanted this to happen. Um, should we just dive into the sort of timeline of this game and then find pick stuff out along the way? Or would you rather identify some bigger things first? No, I think, I think we can just dive into it. Uh, and I'll kind of go off where you were right there. I mean, it starts off uh, with, you know, Oregon has a, a drive that is kind of promising, you know, gets to midfield, and then it's what is essentially a pick six from Anthony Brown. And like you said, I'm, I'm feeling the exact same way because we talked about it in the pregame. Washington points were going to be at a premium for Washington in this game. Uh, and it turned out to be even more that way than I think most people thought going into it. Mm -hmm. um, but that seven points was so huge for them because everyone knew they're going to struggle to play to get to 30 in this game. 
And most people thought that was about where they'd have to hold Oregon around or where they could hold Oregon kind of low 20s, which is what happened. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it just felt like felt kind of like the Stanford game um, in that way that we spotted them those points early. Uh, and it for me, it was like, okay, you know, we gave them seven, you give them the safety soon after that. And it's, it's like, okay, well, we gave them those points, but good news is we, you know, let's not give them 14 like we did um, <laughs> to Stanford one. And also uh, throughout all this, the nice thing was Oregon still gets the ball back uh, with four minutes left in the first quarter. And it's nine to three. Those that first quarter, uh, a lot of possessions are traded super quickly, mm -hmm. which I think, despite it taking a while in terms of offensive series for Oregon to wake up, there was still a lot of game time left. So there was plenty of time to uh, dig Oregon to have Oregon dig itself out of the hole. One, it was a less, uh, it was a smaller hole than versus Stanford. Two. Uh, and because of that, I think they were able to not only dig themselves out, but kind of get the buffer margin uh, that they didn't have for Stanford, honestly, was, was how I felt about it. It was also frustrating just those initial few minutes. Uh, more than anything, it was frustrating to me because it was happening exactly the way a lot of UW -like pundits told us it would happen, uh, it being like the potential upset. Um, it was like the suffocating defense from UW and then Washington just using field position to punch the ball in. Um, the thing is, I very, very quickly felt very comfortable in this game because even when Washington won the uh, field position battle for the entire first half, uh, they had no offensive prowess whatsoever the entire game, as Mario said. Like... They were absolutely unwatchable, man. This offense is so bad. And obviously, if you're, I mean, by now, John Donovan has been fired for good reason. I don't really know why he was hired in the first place. Uh, that seems to be the, like, popular opinion about this entire coaching situation at UW, really. Um, but back to the game, like, let me read you UW's starting field positions on each of their drives, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the Oregon six-yard line, of course. Um, their own 34 after the Oregon field goal. That one was a three and out. Um, next possession, they have it on the Oregon 46. Or, sorry, sorry. The UW 45. The, the last one was the, the UW 25. Okay, so let's start over. Six-yard drive, right? Get a normal kickoff touchback spot. They go three and out. They get it on their own 45-yard line next time. Uh, they go three and out, punt it down to our uh, two-yard line again. Uh, next drive, they get it at the 43-yard line. That's another three and out. <laughs> next drive, they get it at their 40-yard line. That's another three and out. Or, sorry, that one was the interception. It's essentially a three and out. Mm -hmm. uh, then they get it on their 49. Turnover on downs. <laughs> Seven-play, 27-yard drive. That was their best drive of the first half was seven plays and 27 yards. Uh, yeah. Which one of these teams has the suffocating defense? Like, which of these teams will do what it takes to win on any given play? Uh, 
Dear God. Yeah, I the other two of their half, by the way, were like not as great field position. But by that point, the Ducks had the lead, I believe, um, and didn't surrender it for the rest of the game. So it's kind of crazy how in the, you know, af- right after the safety, we controlled the game for pretty much its entirety. Maybe outside of the one, like, calculated UW drive that they had in the fourth quarter. Um, <laughs> we, we controlled the line of scrimmage and we controlled the game. Um, and something we've talked about a lot in recent weeks is how long it takes for the Ducks to get started. But once we get going, we're, like, insanely good, right? Uh, <laughs> against Stanford, it was, like, the, the second and third quarter um, and most of the fourth. Uh, or maybe it was the third and fourth quarter. I don't remember what we said. Um, against uh, our next opponent, I'm sorry, my brain is fried right now. Um, it was the second and third quarter, like, or against Cal, I mean, UCLA, we know the story there. Again, like, it takes us a while to get started, but once we're there and the motor's running, like, we could, we just run over people. Colorado, mm-hmm. I mean, we were just an inferior opponent. Like, we, we controlled that game pretty much the entire time, playing a lot of backups. And then in this game, again, after the 9-0 start, like, we just dominated. And the thing that scares me about the way this team plays uh, is that we don't have a lot of margin for error with this kind of stuff down the stretch. Um, yeah. I don't trust that this team will be able to regain the lead against Wazoo or Utah, or Oregon State as easily as it did against Cal, UCLA, Colorado, UW. Um, yeah. All games in which we were, well, I guess not Colorado, but Cal, UCLA, UW, all games in which we were losing to start off looked absolutely terrible and then just flicked a switch and all of a sudden we are playing like the number four team in the country. Right. Right. Even at even at uh, Ohio State, you know, it was a scoreless first quarter there as well. Um, I think that's a great point. Uh, this team is prone to get off to slow starts. It, it's kind of interesting for me going back to, um, you know, all the criticism of Arroyo as an offensive coordinator, which is, you know, was warranted. But mm-hmm. that team actually started pretty well in games. Um mm-hmm. They had a great drive against Auburn, I remember. Ditto for the Wisconsin Rose Bowl, I believe. You did. Um, Scored on the first yeah. position. Yeah. Yeah. There were, it was, it's so funny that, um, that though, in those games under Arroyo, it seemed like we had pretty good scripted stuff for the first drive or two. And then it was the fact that we just could never make an adjustment to put any, you know, there was no uh, <laughs> counterattack there at all. And with, with DeRuder and Moorhead, it feels like we kind of feel the opponent out for a while. And then, like you said, we turn it on and and really seize control of the game uh, from there out. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, just overall, broadly speaking about this game, I think it was, it was kind of um, just from a football watcher perspective, kind of unfortunate that I felt like it was a pretty fun battle between the Oregon offense and the UW defense Mm -hmm. uh, that would have made for like a really good football game and kind of back and forth. Um, And even though Oregon was rushing the ball well, uh, UW was putting up a fight until they were ultimately too worn down. But, you know, it was it was back and forth there for a while between those units. But that was 
you know, overshadowed by the fact that Washington's offense was just completely incompetent. And you need nothing more to see it than to just pull up the drive chart that you mentioned. Um, they have one competent drive. Their touchdown Ooh. drive in the second half is the only drive that goes well even at all. Yeah, that's it's the only not, one that's remotely impressive. Yeah. Yeah, that's not an exaggeration. Like, they, 27 yards is the most they gain on another drive, and that one ends in a, uh, a turnover on downs. Um, throw an interception on the 18-yard drive. Like, there was not, and then it's a bunch of three and outs. Maybe they get one first down and punt after that. It was bad. Really bad. Yeah, dude. Uh, UW went three for 12 on third downs. Um, I want to say the Ducks started like one for five, but ended up nine of 16, which is obviously a pretty good rate. Uh, seven total first downs for UW in this entire game, uh, despite only 48 penalty yards. Um, 2.3 yards per rush. 2.3 from the coach mm-hmm. that, that wears the run the damn ball hat. Um, I, <laughs> they only made it to the red zone twice, Reed. <laughs> like they scored both yeah. times they got to the red zone, um, but they only made it there twice. Uh, and one time their offense didn't make it there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, there's one more stat I wanted to pick out from this. Um, well, I mean, the the rush overall rushing total is the big thing. 329 yeah. yards to 55. That is ridiculous uh, well, yeah, domination one, in the trenches. 166 of total offense for UW. Um, yeah. That's not very good. Uh, they're in a similar situation that we were with, like, Anthony Brown and Ty Thompson, where they all want uh, Minnie Heward to get playing time. Um, Because to them, it seems pretty obvious that Dylan Morris is not it for them. Honestly, I don't even think Morris played that terrible on his own. Uh, When they did actually have passing downs, I mean, I can think of at least three drops off the top of my head from UW receivers that were, you know, either obvious, like, catches. Like, they were either, like, there was that crossing route to Otten in the middle. Um, Mm -hmm. There was, like, the deep ball to the left where the guy, like, it was a well-placed ball, and the receiver just, like, made a mess of it. Uh, and there was the one to the outside also on the final drive. Um, but the one I want to point out is total three and outs for Washington's offense. I believe it, and they ended with six. It might have been seven, but oh, six man. sounds right. Um, that, that also include or that doesn't include one. Oh, yeah, six three and outs. I finally found it. Um, they had one, two, three, four I think it's, drives that went longer than 10 yards total. I think it's technically seven three and outs, uh, if you include the safety on the last one, which is a three and out. Oh, I mean, I like it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a three and out, but the punt is it just is. a safety. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's what was confusing me. Um, yeah, dude. The, Seven. Just... That's a ridiculous number of three and outs. <laughs> it is a ridiculous number of three and outs. Um, yeah, out of their, like, 13 drives, more than half of them were three and outs. <laughs> and the, yeah. the other few were, uh, 
the one good touchdown drive again, the one drive that's punching it in, the interception, the turnover on downs, and then one of them was like the halftime kneel down. Um, that's not very good. And it's probably a good thing for everyone who's ever had to watch Washington this year that John Donovan was fired. Um, yeah. It's good for the conference, too. Oh, the other thing I wanted to point out about three and outs was like the interception, we can, we can kind of count as a three and out, I feel like, because uh, it was on well, third I, down, I believe, right? No, it's on second down. Oh, they, they do gain it. They do gain a first down. Oh, that's right. On that's that right. drive. But, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's, uh, you know, kind of the story of this game is, is Ducks get in that hole early um, and it's just kind of an ugly punt fest for a while. Uh, and Ducks are really fighting against just horrible field position uh, and they keep showing up over and over again. Finally, um, that turnover on downs is huge uh, in the mm-hmm. second corner on a fourth and one. Uh, when Washington is finally, they're running it about to get in the red zone. Um, and they're on the Oregon 23. You know, this is like a big moment where they could have easily put up a touchdown, regardless of how incompetent they are. You know, if they rip off a decent run, they're a first down away from scoring. So, uh, what happens on that fourth and one? Uh, Jeff Fossa. Yeah. Wildcat, the wild dog. Anyone who, like, watched Hitler Day's film review or had just watched Washington enough this year, they script their plays by formation so obviously that he, I think mm-hmm. he even wrote, like, verbatim in his write up. Like, every time they go to Wildcat, it's just a run up the middle. And it's slightly more successful because the running back can choose his hole instead of going where he's supposed to go. And that's it. Um, So, of course, they're going to fake the jet sweep. But, yeah, Bossa just blows up the play. Dorless does, too. It's funny. uh, I was sitting next to Dylan Mickenden in the box, who a great friend of ours works for uh, Ducks Digest. And he was like, watch, Dorless is going to blow this one up. And I was like, (laughs) "Uh, I think Popo might do it instead. (laughs) I had to give him kudos for calling it, literally. Um, so that was pretty cool. Obviously, we're big Doorless fans on this pod. But yeah, I mean, that totally flipped the, flipped the game on its head. I mean, mm-hmm. right after that, what you're about to say is that we get the touchdown drive to Devin Williams um, after converting third down the play before. And I don't know about you, but at that point, the game was like over in my eyes. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like, I had seen enough of the Washington offense to be like, yeah, this is, uh, they're not going to score, like, very many legit points against us tonight. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, you never know what kind of funky things can happen, especially in the rain and those conditions and everything. But, I mean, it definitely, I felt very confident after that touchdown. It was needed. Um I think Brown was very clearly struggling to throw the ball uh, in those conditions. QB 11 even mentioned that uh, because of his mechanics, I guess, I mean, QB 11 obviously knows more about this stuff than we do, but uh, his mechanics make it like particularly difficult to throw a wet ball. Yeah. Um, And so it was clear early on that Oregon uh, or I guess after those first few drives that Oregon just wasn't going to be able to throw the ball very well. 
at all. Mm -hmm. uh, the one to Devin Williams, they kind of needed. I think that it was not only big for Oregon to score that, uh, but it was a huge confidence blow to Washington, I think, to give up that lead after so much had gone right for them in the first quarter. Uh, and they weren't able to capitalize on it. And I think that defense realized how hard it was going to be for their offense to put up points. And they kind of were hoping to pitch a shutout against Oregon or close to it to stay in the game. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so that, that was a huge touchdown. Ducks come out of half and just decide to pound the ball uh, on the ground for the rest <laughs> of the game pretty much. I mean, it's a pretty good strategy, to be fair. Um, <laughs> when you know you can win the battle at the line of scrimmage and you already have the lead uh, and you have two very competent running backs, and we'll, we'll touch on Travis Dye more in a second, um, why not just pound it down their throats, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think uh, it was 0-12 over on Twitter. Um, he had just an awesome line of trash talk which was in response to uh the u-dubs elite pass defense that everyone was talking <laughs> about and he says the blazers would be the best three-point defense team in the history of the nba if they allowed their opponent to dunk freely on every possession <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is just so true i mean it's yeah. like yeah, your your pass defense is good, I guess, but we're running the ball for yards every time successfully. So what is that really worth? And also, how can you even measure it? Because no one, of course, no one passes the ball against you. Because why would they? They can just run it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can plug ourselves with this one. Uh, we said it all week on both shows. Like UW's pass defense, yeah, it's great, but uh, they're a little bit soft in the middle. Um, they got a couple good D tackles, but I mean, two good defensive tackles isn't going to win you a game, even two great ones. Like if, if the rest of the front seven isn't really doing their job, right. So, oh yeah, man, I, <laughs> the wide receiver blocking, I thought was good. The offensive line was interesting. And I want to actually touch on those rotations for a second up front. Um, uh huh. We knew Alex Forsyth would be healthy for this game, and he dressed and everything. He played in the game. He did not start the game, which was obviously a little bit puzzling. Uh, we had Ryan Walk starting at center, as he's been doing for quite a while now. Um, and then it was... Uh, I'll just say the people out, because it's easier to, to count that way. Uh, Forsyth and Jeremillo started as the guys out. Jeremillo ended up with the least amount of O-line snaps, and that was 30. So all that to say, and Forsyth ended up with the third most snaps, 58, all of them at center. Mm -hmm. All that to say, like, <laughs> you never know what to expect from this offensive line rotation at this point, honestly. Um, yeah. And I'm okay with it, because as long as they get the job done, as long as they played like they did, uh, throughout this entire game against UW, I'm fine with it. Also, Walk looked like he had a little bit of an injury, but I haven't heard any more on that. I think he's fine. I think it was just a knock. So, yeah, yeah. I think um, honestly, the the O line, whatever whatever it was, they showed up and played pretty well. Uh, everyone had a you know decent success. 
blocking the run at least um, enough to have Oregon sustainably move the ball against obviously a not great rush defense for UW. Uh, I think one interesting thing is um, uh, George Moore transitioning into like more of a partial role in this unit. I think has been pretty successful. I think he's been better kind of at a at a half snap count uh, than mm-hmm. playing every down. So I think that's that's been good. Um, I think in general it, it's it's working enough. This offensive line seems like they're gelling uh, and improving slowly. Uh, and there's just a lot of pretty good pieces here. Uh, no penne is on here, obviously, but. The unit's looking good. A uh, bunch of guys able to fill different roles. And ultimately, having seven guys who you feel comfortable starting out there is a good thing. A uh, good thing if there's an injury that pops up or whatever. No reason to complain about that. And I think the worries about that causing communication issues uh, or the rotation being bad or for whatever reason, kind of, I'm over those at, at this time. Yeah. And I mean, just looking at the uh, the offensive line in these years, I mean, how much of it do you think is sticking around? Obviously, Moore is the only like senior. Uh, Bass, Forsyth, Walk, and Sala are all listed as juniors, but I think they all have at least two years of eligibility left because of last season. Um, are any um, of these guys like pro? I don't. I don't. I mean, yeah. Do you know? They appear on any dra- have, if they've appeared on any draft boards or anything. Yeah, I I think that um, I don't know. I th- I think it's it's going to be interesting just to see how Chris Ball manages this roster in general. Um, you have a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson who you really would like to be have be a starter next year. I think just based on how well he's played, and you get him another full off season. Uh, and you just see where these guys are at with their careers. Uh, I don't know what they want to do. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think that you don't necessarily. I I don't know if all of them necessarily want to play out all of their eligibility if it means sticking around the program for six years. Uh, I I say that as in I literally don't know. Uh, yeah. Maybe they do. Maybe not. But you know, I mean, all these guys. Some I think some of them could go to the league, um, but some of them maybe not. Uh, and so it, it'll be their own decision. Um, more, like you said, is is out is gone. Uh, but I think yeah, Bass, Forsyth, Walk, I could all see sticking around for another year. Same with Sala. Same with Jones. I don't. None of them I've seen like super high on a draft board. Uh, but a guy like Bass maybe could get a look. I think. Uh, Bass I has think been I've seen probably our best O lineman this year. I think it's safe yeah. To say. I think I've seen Forsyth get listed as a center uh, in a top, you know, kind of back half of top 10 maybe in a center's list. Um, so maybe he leaves too. Uh, I think Oregon has so much young talent coming in that it it would be fine if a, if a few of these guys left and you get to mix in a Jackson Powers Johnson in there uh, or a Bram Walden or whoever else it is. I mean, even guys like Marcus Harper, uh, you know, and Jonathan Dennis are guys that I've wanted to see for a while that just haven't gotten a crack in it. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I, the, I'm, I feel good about the future of the offensive line for sure. Um, 
otherwise, I think some other notes that I could that I could go through in terms of snap counts. Uh, receiver was interesting again. You have Williams get the most with 67. He's the bona fide number one receiver recently. Super good development for this team. It was a huge offseason question. He's got it. Uh, in this game, Red and Pittman were the guys who came in uh, alongside him for most of the first half. And Johnny Johnson played a bunch when he got back in the second half after that first half suspension. Mm-hmm. Hudson only had 13 snaps. Franklin only has four. That was kind of interesting to me. Um, tight end, same as usual. Uh, Maliki and Ferguson are getting you know around 30 snaps. Webb and DJ are getting around 15. Um, and then the defensive line was a really interesting thing. Uh, Keon where Hudson didn't play in this game barely at all. I don't think he played past the first series. Mm-hmm. Um, according to PFF and I kind of, you know, I, I did a quick rewatch of the highlights and, and was just like scanning each defensive line possession and kind of, okay, do I see him? I didn't think I saw him ever. Um, you know, I mean, obviously some of those guys have similar body types, a guy like Christian Williams, where it's 91, yeah, he got a lot Keon, of snaps, where it's 95. So, but Christian, yeah, exactly. Christian played a bunch. He had 27 snaps and then Popo and Dorless had 44. Um, so that was big. Uh, they played really well, obviously. Um, KT had a bunch of work. Funa had a bunch of work. And then uh, it was interesting for me to see that Trevin May kind of played. Trevin May, Ajax, and Swinson were all sitting around 10 snaps. So it seems like they the staff views those guys similarly as, as good situational contributors. Mm-hmm. Um, the two other biggest stories were Happel took the safety role over from Stevens. Uh, after pl- after seeing a lot of Addison last week, it was pretty much all Happel this week. Uh, Addison only got two snaps. Happel had 48. Um, and Happel played pretty well, I felt like. Um, <laughs> yeah, he had an interception with a club on his arm, so yeah, I would classify that as pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think this is a type of game that Happel can play really well in. Uh, as will a lot of these Pac-12 games be. You know, I get a little nervous about him playing. Uh, if you ask him to, you know, like like the test at Ohio State, can he guard Chris Olave or Jackson Smith and Jigba one on one? You know, I'm a little more worried about that assignment. But um, <laughs> but he's a very smart player and did a great job in this game. Uh, and then the other big thing is Bassa takes over full time at inside yep. linebacker. I was waiting for actu- you to say that. <laughs> Yeah, and actually grades out the highest of any defensive player on the team in this game, according to PFF. By a long shot, too. He's got him beat by, like, seven points. Um, six or seven. That, that's a pretty big difference. Uh, yeah, he obviously had an amazing game. We mentioned the fourth down stop, but uh, overall, I mean, he was he was just special. He logged four stops. Um, and, I mean, a lot of people might watch the game and just think, think of the one, but... Uh, a stop counts as, you know, a failure for the offense, which is like less than half of the first down yardage um, or in short yardage, like a, a zero or negative play or a non-first down, you know. Um, that And that's the most on the team is with four. Uh, Sewell also, something that we haven't really mentioned as much this year that I feel like happened more either one or two seasons ago is batting down passes. Um, mm-hmm. Sewell has obviously been great at this. He's been doing it 
pretty much every week, but he had two of them this week, and both of them were on third down in the first half. That's pretty damn impressive, and it's something that, uh, I don't know, it's just always, it's, it's a sign of a confident defense and one that is dialed in and focused at all times. Um, mm-hmm. Just throw your hand up there and get in the way. Um, KT obviously tries to do it quite a bit, uh, but Noah's been doing a lot from linebacker on like spies and in zone, so uh, really good for him. Mikhail Wright went down at one point in this game, but I don't even know if he missed significant snaps for it. Uh, yeah, I don't think he did. He was pretty he, much he ended right with back and ready to go. Snaps, so yeah. yeah, and then uh, obviously DJ James um, being the logging forty three snaps out of. Um, what was the total for you, Dub? It wasn't very many in this game. Uh, 51 or 52. So pretty good stuff all around from the defense. Oh, but the corner point I was making is like, yeah, he's very clearly past Bridges and um, Manning on the on the depth chart. Manning managed to get a mm-hmm. – uh, I'm not I'm not trying to shit on Manning. I'm just reminding people that he had that pass interference penalty even though he's only in for six plays. Um, it is what it is. I, I mean – it was a little bit soft in my eyes, but I think it was okay. Yeah. Uh, anything else from this defense? Um, no, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, Hold on, I got yeah. one more thing. I got one more thing. Okay, to ask go for about. it. Only ten snaps from Braden Swinson? Question mark. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think um, I think that's just been his role, I guess. After the after after some of the other guys have came back, I think. You know, and partially that's a product of I think KT's become an every down player, um, and yeah. Mace has gotten more healthy as well. Uh, and so when you have those guys eating up as many snaps as they are, it's like, okay, we got twenty snaps left at edge for someone, you know, and uh, we have a few. Pl- you know, you want to get Ajax in there for a bit um, as well, and and Trevin May you get in mm-hmm. there too. So I think that's what it is more than anything. So yeah, after, I, I, he, after he came off that injury, his snap counts have been 44 against Cal, 29 against UCLA, 14 Colorado, and now 10 against Washington. Yeah. Um, Just anything else? Anything else from here that you feel like, uh, I don't know, like what are your takeaways from this game just in terms of do you feel like we learn anything new about this team? Um, Honestly, not really. Uh I, I don't really think I know anything new. Maybe I'm more confident in our ability to run the ball when pass isn't working. Because, uh, mm-hmm. again, although UW has a relatively soft run defense, I mean, it was still one of the better ones in the Pac-12 coming into this game. Um, I think that strategy could... <laughs> it's tough because I, I have to think about this in terms of playing Utah twice towards the end of the season because that's the goal, right? Um, yeah. They have the, the South locked up. Um, yeah. I, I feel confident in our ability to run the ball against Utah still. Not to this extent, but I think that is kind of something to keep in the back of your head as you watch Oregon and or Utah down the stretch. Um, it's just how the offensive line run blocks. And also playing against like an elite linebacker like Devin Lloyd because he probably will get Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year this year, this season just because of the, the lack of KT snaps. Um, yeah. And he's been an absolute beast. Like, I'm, like take nothing away from him uh, with that comment. 
Devin Lloyd is an absolute animal for that Utah D, but yeah, first uh, round linebacker probably. Yeah, and they have a pretty pretty good defensive line too, from what I understand. So, um, overall, yeah, that's just what I'm going to keep an eye on after this. The other thing is that while Brown again only threw 20 passes, only completed 10 of them um, to Oregon receivers, we just didn't need to do that. Um, and a lot of that boils down to, again, the fact that UW's offense is just so, so bad and that they could not move the ball to save their lives. But overall, I'm more confident in the defense, more confident in the run game, and just overall a little bit more confident in this team. I mean, we've had three kind of rough weeks before that Colorado game, um, but it's starting to show that a dominant performance can be the regular instead of a fluke which has not yeah. always been the case for this team this year. Yeah, I think that's those are all good points. Um, for me, I mean, from a personnel spec perspective, what I take away from this game is uh, the big the big headliner obviously has to be Bossa stepping in there and playing mm -hmm. a really good game. And just like for so long, it was like we, we literally didn't have a legit second linebacker. Um, yeah. We're yeah. kind of makeshift situation there. And now Bossa is at least you know a legit Pac-12 starter level player and turning into like a good player uh mm -hmm. not even just like average or like workable but like a pretty good impactful player when he's out there uh, and we didn't think we were going to really have that at linebacker um the other thing is you know Cardwell had a really good game uh last week and uh this week you know, he didn't do – it wasn't the same in, in breaking off 20 yards every single carry. Um, <laughs> but getting 16 carries um, and in key spots, he fought for the yards. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't an awesome game from him, I'll be honest. But I think getting him reps where it's like, okay, you're a legit second back right now and we need you to carry the ball in close games, in the rain, uh, slippery ball and all that. And – he was able to get first downs and move the ball. Uh, and I think that that'll make him a better player going forward. Um, yeah, and something you mentioned about Cardwell, too, uh, maybe inadvertently, was we need you to carry the ball. I mean, mm -hmm. this guy's averages get absolutely destroyed by the fact that we pretty much only use him in, like, running situations. That was a little bit different against Colorado last week just because it didn't really matter what we did, like, we were just getting reps at that point. The playbook was, was pretty open still. Um, but against Stanford is the first time we saw this where, I mean, the dude just gets beat up uh, with these short carries, not because he's bad or anything, but just because the defense knows exactly what we're going to do. Um, and that's not necessarily yeah. anybody's fault. It's just something to consider when you evaluate Cardwell. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, the last thing I want to zoom in on from this game just real quick is is I think that last 15 yard drive that took off nine minutes uh, deserves a mention. I think we saw play AD. Drive? Yeah, 15 play drive. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> 15, 15 play yards in nine minutes is like yeah. <laughs> galaxy brain shit. I don't know how you pull that off. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, AB's passing the ball or handing off the ball a lot here, but. Still, he got it done when he needed to, sometimes with his legs, sometimes on short passes. Uh, and the big one uh, was a third down ball to uh, to Johnny Johnson. 
uh, at midfield. Mm -hmm. It was a third and 10. It was the big moment, I think, when this game in the second half felt most up in the air, potentially. Um, Yep. It's a third and 10 with about eight minutes left, and Oregon's ready to punt the ball back to Washington if this doesn't go well. Uh, Credit to Johnny Johnson as well for securing it on the sideline. Uh, as he's fallen out of bounds after being fresh in from the locker room at halftime, but um, yeah, it was a, it was a, we didn't need him to make that many big throws, but he made that big one, uh, and to bleed that clock out, and really, I mean, the this game gets it, it, the game's over with three minutes left when when Travis Dye takes it to the one yard line basically, mm-hmm. and then unsportsmanlike <laughs> conduct on Forsyth. Uh, kind yeah, can of a you, tick. Can you open up on that one? Because I couldn't tell what happened from where I was. Yeah, he just finished a block a little too hard. Basically, he's the the Travis Dye runs the play, I think, to the right side, and Forsyth is back battling with someone in the middle, and kind of as Dye's getting tackled, Forsyth just kind of twists the dude over and shoves him in the ground. Come on. Um, it's it was really. Really frustrating. Uh, probably something that Forsyth didn't need to do, but also, you know, it's a rivalry game and the game's pretty much over. That's a like big call. That backs Oregon up to the 20. Then Micah does a similar thing. He gets in the face mask of someone, gets a 15 yard penalty. All of a sudden, we're back at the 37. <laughs> Three plays ago, we're at the one yard line, ready to punch in the score. Uh, so that was unfortunate uh, and got a little. Harry there for a second, but, uh, and I got, you know, some brief flashbacks to the drives <laughs> we had to s- sustain against obviously Stanford, but also Cal and UCLA, um, mm-hmm. ended up that absolutely nothing got going for Washington, three incompletions. And then, uh, the safety, uh, on a ball, they probably shouldn't have been punting was such a, a perfect way to end this game. I felt like. Yeah, so where do you, uh, how do you evaluate this punt? I'm kind of curious because in the press conference, I wasn't in it, but they were like broadcasting it in the box for Jimmy Lake. He talked about it like it wasn't even a question. Like, of course he was going to punt it. Two timeouts, like you would rather just, he's, he was like, our defense have been playing pretty well, which I don't know about that. Um, uh, Like, I, I don't know if the logic he used to get there was sound, but it seems like, it would have been fine. I don't really understand the the AI sports like uh, fourth down decision evaluation website uh, says it's a toss up. There's only a 02 percent difference in what happens. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think there's a case for it, but at the same time, I don't know. It's so you just you're. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the difference like, between like one percent and like point five percent win percentage at this point. Yeah, but but I think you just don't. I mean, when your offense is that bad, it just makes all the decisions look horrible because it's like <laughs> either you have to go for a fourth and ten, which is like, uh, how can we possibly believe we can get ten yards on one play right now? But the alternative is you punt it away. You only have two timeouts left, I think. So. Your offense is going to get the ball back in the same spot. Yes, you'll have a fresh set of downs on the one hand, but you'll have a minute 10 left maybe. 
if, and it's if, like, that, if everything goes perfectly. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> the <laughs> offense <laughs> driving 90 yards in, in a minute 10 with how they've been playing is seems very unlikely as well. So, uh, yeah, but I, I was, it was just a funny way to end it. So I thought that was fitting. Oh yeah, it was great. Uh, I was listening to the full cast after dark today, which is a great program by the way. Um, and <laughs> they were talking about it, uh, in, <laughs> Someone pointed out that the the snap hits the cameraman behind the end zone, like square in the face, which I didn't realize at the time. So that part was awesome. Uh, But also that like this, this is just not what Jimmy Lake preaches. Like he acts like he's supposed to be this energetic new coach. who's like got all these great ideas. Uh, and yet he hired John Donovan and runs what they run on offense and has allowed this to happen for nine games of their season already. It's mm-hmm. just a loser move. Like, it's a loser way to to punt. Um, but anyways, what they were saying on the full cast is, like, <laughs> uh, they were making a joke about UW's, like, academic prowess and everything, and it's like, oh, it's this galaxy brain stuff. Like, you guys wouldn't understand. Like, the safety yeah. was on purpose, right? Uh, it's, it's for field position. Like you wouldn't get it. Also, I have never seen, a, uh, an onside kick attempt from a free kick before, which is the, you know, that's the kickoff after your yeah. safety is a free kick. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but I mean, it was necessary. Yeah. I get it, but it yeah, I didn't even know if you could do that. I was wondering Once. the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, I've never seen that either. That's pretty funny. Um, yeah. I wonder if there's a strategy in there somewhere. <laughs> Probably not. Because <laughs> you have to <laughs> kick from your own. It's basically a worse <laughs> kickoff. I mean, it's just a kickoff from 15 yards farther back. Yeah, um, but like, but like, what if you're, let's say you're down four. And <laughs> you have like a fourth and 20. From, and you're 99 yards from scoring, right? <laughs> okay, okay. If you punt the ball, you're just giving it up, and they get four, and you have no timeouts left, hypothetically. Yeah, yeah. So, so you punt the ball, it's over <laughs> if they catch it. Okay. If you go for it, you're probably not getting it. So you take the safe. If so, if you think your odds are better of recovering the onside kick, you can do that. Take the safety, and no, then I mean, yeah. if you get the onside kick, you get the ball back. Still one possession. And what, where do you take that kick from? You take it from the 20 still? So, <laughs> so you get to, you gain a bunch of field position there. Oh, man. That's, <laughs> I mean, I think you've successfully identified like the one time you would actually want to <laughs> intentionally safety. Um, I've never thought about that before, and I cannot wait until it happens. Um, <laughs> Because I guarantee you Jimmy Lake won't be the guy to do it either <laughs> or to pull it off, uh, especially yeah. with, with Dylan Morris, at quarterback. Um, the last thing we, we can talk about with regards to what happened on the field in this game was uh, this final Oregon drive where we're just killing clock once again. Um, Cardwell and uh, Brown are just rushing it, r- running the clock out at this rate. Uh and Cardwell on third and three punches it down in the end zone. I thought, uh, upon, upon like the, the 10th, uh, replay review of this game, 
he was like a half yard short. Mario wanted to punch this ball in. Uh, he wanted to embarrass UW, and I'm sorry, in, in my kind of overall evaluation of this game, I'm counting this as a touchdown. Um, and that leads me to the conclusion that Reed, despite throwing what was effectively a pick six on the first drive of the game, this Oregon offense put up what was basically 31 points um, against this elite, in quotes, Washington defense. Well, hey, I mean, I heard this point, which is even kind of uh, more straightforward than that is, is just if Forsyth doesn't uh, get the uh, unnecessary yeah, yeah. roughness call on him, you're at the four-yard line. And there you easily punch it in, and it's not even in garbage time completely in the same way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could say – you. Could, I think 31 is easily what you could say. Some people are making the argument for, for 38. Some people are even giving them credit for the safety points and saying Oregon scored 40 in this game. Uh, <laughs> and Sure. I'm, I mean, that's the thing is, again, if, if – uh, Forsyth doesn't commit that penalty and we do punch it in there we probably, you know, UW still probably goes three and out, there's even more time left on the clock so they're probably still punting it back to us <laughs> um, and we probably score again if Mario wants to score So we could have uh, even got a third score in there maybe <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Lake will never pass up an opportunity to punt, that's what we learned from this game. Um, I'm not even just talking about the last the last punt on this one, or punt attempt. Um, throughout the game, I mean, there's multiple occasions on, on a lot of these three and outs. I mentioned all that good field position they had in the first half. Like, you're the underdog in a heated rivalry game. It's still a close game. At some points, he was in Oregon territory when he's deciding yep. to punt on fourth and like one and two every single time. Um, God, it was just so, it was so frustrating. Like, obviously, it was. I'm okay with it because like I'm an Oregon fan, but uh, it was it was kind of frustrating to watch because like we've seen this so many times throughout college football. Like I know it's not a video game. You can't just like expect yourself to get the first down every time or just go for it. Cause it's for fun. Go for it, man. What do you yeah. have to lose in this game? Like the one time he went for it, they called like the worst possible play. It's <laughs> a <laughs> run up the middle from with wildcat. Like just call a damn QB. Such sneak, a bad play call. I mean, our defense is good, but like, no matter how good you are, you can't really stop a sneak. Like, wh what do you really, really, John Donovan and Jimmy Lake? Like, I don't know who, I'm assuming Lake makes that call about whether to go or not. Like, what do you have to lose, man? Especially yeah. late in this game. Like, I don't know. that. It was frustrating from a pure football perspective. But I was living it up in there, believe me. Um, yeah, the uh, the press box etiquette deteriorated pretty quickly on both sides up there. Oh, really? There wasn't full on cheering, but it was pretty obvious. Uh, when the when the first interception was thrown, <laughs> there were audible yelps from pretty much everyone, but the little organ <laughs> corner in the press box. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Um, that is so funny. Knowing all those guys or, or and following the work of the yeah guys. Yeah. 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 I mean, ultimately, whatever you want to say, and, and people are 
you know, people do a good job, some of some more than others, of being unbiased. But I mean, like a lot of those people graduate with degrees from the various schools and are clearly big mm-hmm. sports fans. And uh, I think that the rivalry seeps into those uh, sports writers a little bit as well. Probably. Oh, of course. I mean, shit, how did we both get involved in sports journalism, right? Because right. we were just fans and wanted to do this shit. Um, another thing, okay, it, let's let's get the on-field stuff out of the way because there is a lot of juicy off-the-field stuff that oh, yeah. I want to look at, too. Um, MVPs, let's do it. We almost forgot, but we didn't. Um, mm-hmm. It's got to be Travis Dye, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Won't even bother. Won't even bother bringing up another one. Um, seven and a half yards per carry in this game. Uh, that included a lot of like garbage time, one and two yard runs. Uh, that he would turn into three and four yard runs. By the way, um, just insane. Uh, broke his own or not his own record. Uh, sorry, he broke his well his own personal record. I think it was two twenty one was his final line. Um, just an insanely productive game from him at 211 sorry on 28 attempts yeah with that long run of 45 that stopped the touchdown if i could change one play in this game that the ducks did well on it would be that that long 45 yard run where um it was similar to like the d'anthony thomas not blocking for uh mariota where Anthony mm. Brown is right next to him, and if he sees the defender closing in from his left, then he'll block him and die is running, you know, clear path to the end zone. Um, instead, he's looking across like Die's body and tries to block somebody yeah. on the other side, and the corner catches up to him. But I, I will say though, like, man, if there's one thing that I love about Anthony Brown, it's he hands that ball off and oh, he yeah. sells a little fake or something, and then he runs downfield and he is like not afraid to block for anyone uh he's looking for someone to find and get him out of the way and that's awesome i mean he, he's a guy who you know you sometimes see in college a guy um with that you know who has super high draft stock or something and they're kind of protecting themselves at quarterback mm-hmm. a bit uh you know avoiding running Robert. the ball even yeah, yeah. and Man, Anthony Brown is like he's living for the moment. He's he is not afraid to put his body out there uh, to give Oregon just an extra inch, you know. Yeah, I love uh, and that. And that's stuff, pretty awesome. Man. It's sick. I mean, real quick, I don't want to talk about other games right now, but uh, in the Cincinnati one, I mean, the Tulsa mm-hmm. quarterback, it was Tulsa, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the perfect <laughs> example of like you are playing football. Why in the hell are you ever sliding down to avoid contact in the one yard line? That ended up losing them the game effectively. Uh, you know they they fumble it into a touchback on the next play, and what was a chance to they were down eight. What was a chance to tie the game ends up you know being like the stupidest mistake possible. Um, mm-hmm. I was rewatching Ohio State game tape like a week ago or so Mm -hmm. and uh it was one of the things that jumped out to me that we may or may not have identified i don't remember at the time but brown does not shy away from contact man even when he has the ball it's not just blocking like the dude invites it and seeks it out uh and i fucking love that about him it's awesome it's so awesome um defensive bossa happel MVP. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go, Bossa, man. I mean, 
it's just he is playing big time football right now as a true freshman converted uh db and he's he's just playing like a legit linebacker next to sewell like i i actually feel damn good about having him out there um it's just awesome to see that i'm gonna give it to happel then um we've criticized him in the past for not being bennett williams essentially um but he played i mean he had his best game i think it's safe to say uh against Mm uw yesterday filled in for steve stevens who was obviously out injured after that colorado game uh despite stevens being listed as the starting boundary safety i'm pretty sure happel effectively was uh Happel was listed as the backup uh, nickel behind Hill, who Hill also played a good game. The entire defense really was solid, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought I thought that was a really important performance from him. And again, we mentioned that interception changing the momentum of the game early on. <laughs> How bad does your offense have to be? <laughs> where you are throwing an interception to the one guy on the field with one hand. <laughs> he has one damn hand, and the <laughs> other one is literally clubbed up into a fist, and he picks you off. Like, that, yeah. that was hilarious to me. I loved that. And, like, the players celebrated with it, like it was a trophy or something after the play, <laughs> like holding it yeah. up and stuff. That, that shit was awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll give it to Happel. Although, obviously, Boss is an obvious shout as well. Yeah. Um, any other stuff you want to pull from this game? Uh, I do just want to say it just for credibility's sake that uh, that the clock management at the end of the first half, absolutely ah. atrocious. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Made no sense. Uh, it felt like it was, you know, it felt like there's like one person who was responsible for clock management and another person's responsible for play calls, and they just didn't communicate at all. <laughs> and so, like, the clock management guy's, like, calling timeouts, like, oh, timeout, timeout. We got to, you know, let's take a shot here. We're going to score. And then the play call guy is just like, okay, two-yard run. Let's just get to half. And it's like, why are we, why are we just <laughs> calling runs and, like, pouring down water with a slippery ball uh, with a lead ready to go into half? and then calling timeouts right after a two-yard run. Uh, It it just is like, it would have been fine to, if you want to be aggressive, step on the gas, that's fine. Uh, You can use timeouts. But you can't do both. You can't just run for two yards and then call timeouts and then Oregon has to punt it for no reason, again, in horrible conditions with five seconds left just because they kept calling timeouts. It's like, literally shooting yourself in the foot with yeah, bad no, clock management. Yeah. I agree. That's yeah. something that, that kind of went by the wayside just because, uh, I mean, it didn't end up making a difference, but I mean, again, you're right. If we're going for it, like go for it. Uh, just be decisive about it. If we're going to half then don't even run the damn ball, just kneel down. Like, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> we've seen this movie before guys. Like, come on. Um, so yeah, all right, uh, let's get to this off-the-field stuff, dude. There was so, so much drama leading up to this game, during the game, and even more after the game. Like, I didn't think both sides could get, like, more petty after this game, but they somehow both outdid themselves. Um, I, I want to start 
with uh, something that happened during the game. Jimmy Lake, like, punching his player in the face, essentially. Uh, allegedly yeah. breaking them up. Again, the, the um, Lake's press conference was, like, broadcast to, over the intercom in the press box, so I was listening to it, like, bits and pieces. And <laughs> Softy Mahler, Mahler, Mahler uh, who some people yep. might know as, like, he's the kind of Jerry Allen of UW. Like, he's their radio guy, but all, he's more so, like, a personality than, like, a commentator. Um, you know, longtime UW Homer and all this stuff. He and Canzano are sitting at a table in front of us, and when <laughs> Lake was asked about like the incident where he like hit the player in the face, he was like, he very clearly goes, "I did not strike him. I was separating him from the fight." And Mahler face plants into his keyboard and just stayed there for about fifteen seconds, <laughs> just totally <laughs> given up in his head coach. Um, and by the way, if you haven't seen the video, please go look at it. Uh, I don't know what Lake like is doing in this clip, but he's certainly not breaking up a fight. Um, the Oregon players are like turned around and heading back to their own bench by the time that Lake like frantically sprints into the picture. Like it's like he's in a bumper car. He like runs into the ref and then he like turns to his player and just like I think he meant to like kind of give him a, a pat on the head or something, but he just like smacks him in the face like. <laughs> first um so that was awesome that's all yeah (laughs) yeah 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 it was pretty crazy uh it was just a weird thing to do i don't know i mean i don't i think it was i in general like i don't think that being physical with players is like a necessary way to get your point across i don't think it's like good i also think it's like very common in football uh, and I don't think it was like the most like disgusting thing I've ever seen, especially given that the player like has a helmet on, but shouldn't have done it. It's definitely bad. Uh, yeah, it's and, stupid is all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and well, not and to mention they... that, I mean, not to mention just like it's amplified by the fact that his team sucks <laughs> and that he's a bad coach. <laughs> this, this is true. Yes. Uh, there's also the context of like Cristobal was chewing into Chris Hudson during the Cal game, Arizona game, Arizona game, um, for that like stupid celebration penalty when he gets the first down and spins the ball and like Rod Gilmore was like chewing into him and people are asking him to do the same for Lake. And I don't think he said anything yet, Gilmore, which, um, I mean, I'm not too tied up in it, but it seems pretty obvious what your agenda is. Uh, if you, you know don't hold others to the same standard there. Um, Yeah. And again, you mentioned it. It kind of just underscored the fact that Lake is a bad head coach. Uh, He can't recruit very well, which is, again, his entire, like, spiel when he came in was like, I'm going to continue the process that Peterson was doing, except do it better. He was very vague about all of it. Uh, He was like, we're going to have a dominant defense, which, like, I'll give you, like, a half check mark. Like, the defense has been good. Um but he wanted to like elevate the standard on, on offense. I, I'm not quoting him. That's just like what he was saying. And he wanted to elevate the standard in recruiting with talent. And we all know how that's going for you, Doug, right now. Um, yeah. Everybody who was in that press box expected Lake to be fired the next day, especially when uh, their AD put out a statement about like the incident with the player. 
Um, and then there was, you know, the announcement that there would be an announcement of an announcement today. Uh, <laughs> and then it ended up being John Donovan who gets thrown under the bus for good reason. Like, I mean, who knows? Maybe if they get a competent OC in there, they can do something better. But QB11 pointed something out, which is like, what OC would want to coach for Don for Jimmy Lake right now? Uh, he's already got one foot out the door, and he's not yeah. really shown that he can run a successful football team. Right. So wh- why? Why would you work for him? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the opposite of Cristobal, where it's like you look at Oregon and their assistant's track record, and it's like even Arroyo, who was bad at Oregon, lands a head coaching job with UNLV. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like at Oregon, it's like, you know, if you're a young, good name and you go there, you're going to have a ton of talent. You're going to be in a position to win games. And you're, you know, just by being near Cristobal and the staff, you're going to gain a reputation as a competent recruiter and someone's going to probably want to take a chance on you uh, at the G5 level, it seems like. Um, and I would, you know, I'd put good money on Moorhead to getting a job probably better than that uh, sometime in the future. Uh, not sure exactly when that will be, but yeah, I mean, at, at Washington, that's so far from the case. It's, um, I mean, John Donovan just is not good at all. And Lake has a foot out the door already. Uh, he could be gone as soon as, I mean, I think he probably stays on a bit, but there's rumors of him getting suspended for the actions uh, with the player. And, you know, I, I thought he'd be. Why not just fire him? I, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand either. But I think, I, I mean, I assume that UW would honestly stick with him for another another year before this game. Uh, I think some people felt differently, but I, I just thought that that's where their uh, athletic director was at, just like satisfied and, and thought Jimmy was a good guy, so they were going to give him a chance. But I guess this performance maybe changed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he promised West Coast dominance, and that is not what UW has been doing. Um, again, we were like legitimately a little bit nervous about this game heading into the season. And I think oh, yeah. the change yeah. between then and now is really all the evidence you need for why Lake shouldn't be a head coach. Like, in the first game of the season, people went from, oh, this is a team that, like, their ceiling could theoretically be, like, 12-0. and 0. Like, they, they have the easiest schedule in the country. They should be able to they should be favored in pretty much all these games like if they can get past Michigan and Oregon like they're looking good before the Montana game they were projected to be favored against Michigan and basically a pick them against us like that's what most people thought was gonna was how how it would shake out uh and immediately after the Montana game it becomes oh and legitimate oh and 12 talk like as, as soon as that happens. Again, easiest schedule in the country, and they lost their easiest game on that easiest schedule in their first game. Um, not to say that that's painted the picture the entire season, but I, from an expectation standpoint, I mean, they're 4-5 and five now. Do you think this team goes bowling? They got ASU at home next week, then at Colorado, and then Apple Cup at home. 
Man, I don't know. Um, I think that we'll get into some of the other games, but, I mean, Colorado beat Oregon State. That was a pretty surprising result. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so after that, I mean, you can't tell me that there isn't a world in which they beat Washington. Uh, ASUs look so up and down, but I'd have to pick them. Um, who was the last team? Oh, Apple Cup. Yeah, I mean, uh, Wazoo. Losable. Losable. Yeah, all, all three are very losable games. Uh, I think they probably, they're right on the edge between getting one and two. I think they're all pretty close games. Yeah. Um, ASU is probably most favorite, but even they look dysfunctional. So, yeah, bowl game is probably not even likely at this point. Uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say. Um, all right, there's one more kind of background thing I want to talk about with this game. I'm sure you've seen it by now. If you're listening to this, you've probably seen it by now. Uh, a few different players from the Oregon locker room um, streamed Mario's uh, post-game speech, if you want to call it a speech or rant or whatever, uh, to the general public. I'm sure he's furious about that behind closed doors. I'm sure he doesn't want us to talk about it. But uh, sorry, man. When you say stuff as compelling as this, we're going to talk about it. Um, can, can I just, like, play the audio? Is that... I have it right here. Uh, yeah, go for it. Go for it if you want to. As, you know, language warning on this. If you have children... I don't know why you would have children listening to this in the first place, but here you go. Send a message, part of my language, say, hey, motherfucker. Ducks play football the right way. That's cave on, by the way. <laughs> that is amazing. That is the best piece of content I've seen in years, honestly. Um, I wish we had been able to hear what he said after the Ohio State game, but... Uh, this was certainly something special. Um, for the part that, that kind of got cut out during KT doing his little, like, uh, mocking noise, um, he was talking about how 30 seconds after UW canceled the game, they proclaimed themselves Pac-12 North champs publicly. Uh, and then, you know, you can hear guys in the background saying, like, you can't claim shit. Like, you didn't win anything. You won three out of four home games in a COVID year that you backed out of and beat um, one divisional opponent yeah yeah and lost to a team of practice in a public park <laughs> um <laughs> yeah dude that's I, I think he said it best um i don't know how well or poorly that audio will come go through but uh it actually it, sounded pretty pretty fine okay cool um so, yeah, man, I love that we have a head coach who cares as much about rivalries as the fans do. Um, you know, the chip era was something else, but, like, we didn't really have the uh, – we didn't have a lot of passion from chip, you know? It was all just we're a machine. It's 
a faceless opponent opponent every week. Like we're not concerned about what uh, the other team thinks of us or anything like that. Uh, it was just all process, and we're going to do our own thing. Yeah, I it, love that Mario hates Lake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. I mean, for people who watch Mario's press conference midweek, he's asked about the uh, <laughs> the Lake comments and. Uh, I forget who asks it. They say something about bulletin board material, and Mario does this whole bit where, oh, uh, bulletin board material. I, I'm, I, I guess I, I'm, yeah. I'm familiar with the concept, but yeah, no, we don't, was, we don't look he at was that just stuff. Stupefied at the question, like, <laughs> I think it was Jared Denny actually. It's scoop dog, scoop dog, and it was just like, uh, what, like. Bulletin board? What? <laughs> no, there's no extra motivation. Oh, yeah, it's a rivalry. Every time, I think this is what he said. He was like, every time you step on the football field, you play the game with passion. Like, there's <laughs> no added passion for this game. Okay, bro. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, I'm happy yeah. for him. I hope that he cracks a smile when he sees that instead of getting pissed at KT and all the other guys that, that streamed it. Um but yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know how much more of Instagram live streams we're going to get in locker rooms <laughs> after wins. I think that's a fair point. I, I don't think it's a bad thing, though. I, I think that probably helps recruiting. I think that, like, I, people like to see that, I think. Um, I I don't we think that that do. really... Yeah, I, I, I mean, the fan base loves it. Uh, another quote I saw, um, I forget who included this in their article it was oh it was alger tyson alger recorded it i think Mm -hmm. put it in his article and it said uh from one of those same live streams chris ball said those fucking guys right there they represent everything that's wrong with football so when you kick their ass (laughs) you let them know it just awesome man i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that's what was being said during the cave on like Mm. Mm -hmm. that's that's why the fans love chris ball though um he has real passion and i mean the hate in this rivalry runs deep obviously everyone listening to this knows it but like from a national perspective uh you can put this rivalry up there with a lot of them you know there's a lot of good ones in this sport Mm -hmm. i'm not going to say it's the best or anything but it's it's legit these fan bases do not like each other uh i also think i mean pac-12 fans and stuff and uh people get people who this Oregon and uh, people call us, oh, we're front runners. Mario Cristobal's a front runner because he just like says this stuff after the games. And uh, and it's like, well, it, I mean, that's a lot better than what y'all do, which is talk all off season and then don't back it up. I mean, like, like you said, like you can't proclaim your way to shit. Like Washington just delusionally, Jimmy Lake, halftime of the basketball games, we're going to continue to dominate the West Coast, like based on what? And then the whole <laughs> off season, they go unfinished business. That was their tagline through everything, which basically just meant like we like what we're going to beat Oregon this year is the subtext of the whole thing is like that yeah. was what they didn't get to do. Uh, and that was all off season. It's like they're basically celebrating the win and talking about it before they've done it on the field at all. Same thing happened with USC. Like, they take back the West before last season. All those recruiting hashtags, take back the West, take back the West. Like, and they 
we've blown them out in uh, at USC twice. Uh, it, yeah, it's just like. I mean, someone else has got to do something before they do it. Utah fans are the same way, man. They are, they love to talk about how they're gonna gonna beat us at, at Utah, and yeah, they might. They have a good team, but hey, look, I I remember what it was like going into that twenty nine conference championship game, and all those Utah fans super high on their horse about how good they were and how they were gonna make a playoff, and <laughs> I mean, they got dominated in that game too. So, yeah. Um, something you're touching on that I want to continue on. There's a fish duck article. If you don't know fish duck, it's like an Oregon blog. There's a lot of great historical like resources on there. Yeah. Um, one of them I just tweeted out is entitled, uh, it's by Charles Fisher, AKA Mr. Fish duck. Uh, it's called Husky hubris quote, why we fight. Um, I'm going to take something from the, the second graph here. Uh, it says, quote, the hubris, which, by the way, hubris is defined as excessive pride or self-confidence. The hubris of Huskies is astonishing and it is only transcended by their own ability to recognize how silly it appears to other fans, even beyond the Ducks. That's the key point there, because, like, it's, it's fun to make fun of your rival. You know, it's fun to make fun of Oregon State. But, like, people on the national scene aren't recognizing, like, oh, Oregon really, you know, like these Oregon state fans are so stupid. Like, I can't believe they would actually say that people say mm-hmm. that about Washington fans and not ju- like, not just Oregon fans saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've both been involved in multiple, uh, you know, Twitter types where, uh, or, uh, tropes, I guess of Husky fans just embarrassing themselves in front of other football fans. Like, it's, it is like they live in their own little hive in, in this country and like they don't pay attention to other stuff that goes on. Or if they do, they just wear like biased glasses watching literally everything. Um, yeah, continuing in this article a little bit, uh, cheating to win becomes the common theme in the history of Washington's success. Basically, he chronicles all the, all the moments of hate between Oregon and Washington. This was written in 2018, so it's, it's fairly new still. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's really good for younger fans like me and you to, to read this kind of stuff goes through the Nick, Rick Neuheisel stuff. Um, even as far back as like the night, 1948, uh, Rose Bowl bid stuff. Um, uh, the, there's an incident and multiple incidents of like Husky fans, uh, tackling Oregon players during key moments in big games, like (laughs) 50 years apart. Um, so yeah, I would definitely check that out. Another article I want to bring up, uh, and it's a national guy, a national SI writer, Pat Ford, in his weekly roundup. I'll touch on it more in terms of the national scene, but uh, in in quickly recapping the Oregon-Washington game, he included the Alger quote, uh, when you kick their ass, you let them know it. Uh, and he, he writes the following, All righty then, don't let anyone tell you there is no such thing as good old-fashioned football hate on the West Coast. I just love that. Again, that's the exact recognition we're talking about. Like, a lot of people just straight up don't pay attention to the Pac-12 for a litany of reasons. The, the conference has given people plenty of reasons to not pay attention to it. Um, but this is not one of them. I, I think the Oregon-Washington rivalry is definitely a good part of uh, the Pac-12, for sure. It's And um, it's definitely the best one on the West Coast, I would say, for sure. Is it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Ter- I mean, you, territorial cup is pretty cool. 
Yeah. Holy War is okay, but that's like, I mean, both of those aren't like actual West Coast. You know. Um, Utah, or I mean, UCLA and uh, USC maybe, but like both those programs have been terrible for a while. Yeah, I, I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I, I think your Zoom is frozen, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, yeah, I'm back now. Okay, there you are. Do you want to launch into this Pac-12 discussion for these other games? Uh, yeah, I do have a few more talking points. Uh, do you want to go through them now or you want to save them for the midweek? Um, are they UW-related or are they Oregon-related? No, they're, they're Oregon-related. That kind of other Ducks, Ducks uh, topics page right there on the um, dock. Let's save them for the midweek. we got to get this we got to get this thing going. <laughs> We're up to an hour and a half already. Wait, I one the one I have to give you though. Okay, okay. Okay. Here let's let's listen to this take, okay? It says we're we're maybe debuting a new segment here, I think. Pac-12 oh. Pac-12 propaganda, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Travis Die. Oh no. I know what you're going to say. For Heisman. We're soft launching the campaign oh, right God. now. Put out the tweet earlier. What do we think about Travis Dye for Heisman? Uh, I, uh, I would love for Travis to go to New York. Obviously, I would love for him to win the trophy. It would be a crime against <laughs> Jordan Davis if Travis Dye was the one to get this Heisman trophy in this season, considering everything that's happened this year. Um, you know, I, I love Travis and all this. I'll probably write a feature on him this week. Like he's awesome, but I get it with the numbers thing. I just, I, I get that he works hard and everything like maybe a most underrated player in the country, but he is not the best player in the country. And I don't, I don't know if he's, yeah, that, that's all I'll say about that. Do you want to make your case for it? Yeah, I do. Okay, so <laughs> I, I was going over the numbers here. Uh, so for total yards, rushing and receiving combined, he's 18th in the country right now. And a lot yeah. of that's come recently. He's on a good pace after Verdell went down. He's focal point of the offense, right? The only two guys in front of him that are like on contender list really are uh, – are Travion Henderson at Ohio State and then Kenneth Walker at Michigan State. Uh, he's also tied for 20th in the country in TDs. Uh, similarly, not that many great people in front of him. And if he keeps up this pace, he has 12. I think the highest person only has uh, 20, uh, 19 even. Um, and that's at Marshall. The like Cincinnati's running back has 16, as does Kenneth Walker has 16. But if, if Travis Dye rips off another four-touchdown game, uh, you know, these numbers could get pretty interesting. Uh, and the main point is just, like, look at the playoff contenders. Like, if, if you're doing it, I know it's not best player on best team exactly, but your team has to be in the playoff mix usually. Like, of those teams, Dye has become, like, the complete focal point of the Oregon offense. And so he's that 
given that he's that important to the Ducks and the Ducks are going to be ranked third in the playoff hunt and his stats are pretty reasonable, why could, just get him a ticket to New York. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> I'd put him on my ballot, but... Even just a vote. Even I would be happy if this campaign ended in one vote for Travis Dye in the, anywhere in the top however many they rank, five. I'm looking at Kenneth Walker's game log right now, right? Yeah. Uh, Read it. Kenneth Walker has had three games this season with less than 125 rushing yards total. Mm -hmm. Three games. Mm -hmm. Every other game, he's had over 125 rushing yards. Over. Mm -hmm. That includes... That's pretty good. 264, 172, 126 is, is the low on that scale. 233, 197 last week against Michigan. And in a loss this week, 146 against Purdue. I, I don't know, man. I have a hard time not putting him number two on my ballot behind uh, Jordan Davis, of course. But yeah. Yeah, I think I think that for this to actually happen, you need uh, first off, defensive players have to be disregarded, which unfortunately is is not that hard of a leap to make. Even though I think Jordan Davis is, I, I would probably give it to Jordan Davis. Uh, Will Anderson at Bama is huge uh, for them as well. Um, but after that, it's like Kenneth Walker should be ahead of Die for sure. But, like, the QBs aren't great. I mean, that's the reason I bring this up is, like, there aren't good candidates. Like, C.J. Stroud, uh, Bryce Young. Like, I don't really know if those guys deserve us. Matt Corral's buzz seems like it's dead pretty much. Um, and just the pace that Die is on right now, like, what he's done since Ferdell went down, racking up yardage one, but then also, like, four touchdowns versus UCLA. Uh, like he has eight touchdowns in the past four games and a ton of yards all purpose to go along with that. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. We'll see how he performs, <laughs> but I think that, I think that we should start preparing the full kind of propaganda machine going so if we need to start launching some hashtags some graphics uh and the like we have it ready in case we have a chance to insert travis die in here you know you know why i'm on board with this what seals it for me is uh the phrase diesman just works a little bit too well here i think that's there you go yeah and we have our hashtag yeah uh, one piece of Pac-12 propaganda I would like to snuff out right now and not mm. actively not support is uh, the <laughs> the Jackson Kirkland versus Kayvon Thibodeau um, misinformation that is is spreading throughout <laughs> Husky Twitter uh, yes. and that may have crept onto some some of your timelines. Um, yes, Kayvon did not have his best pass ru- pass rushing game. Uh, despite having a sack and two QB hurries. 
and dropping into coverage and helping force an interception, which was actively pointed out by Bennett Williams, or not Bennett Williams, Jordan Happel in the press conference. <laughs> um, Reed, why do you think the number one pick in next year's NFL draft might have uh, struggled on paper in this game? Can you think of any reason whatsoever as to why that might be the case? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. One, that they give extra attention to him. Uh, extra two, attention. I think. Extra. Well, what does that mean? Was it? You mean? Well, you have a like multiple people. To, yeah, to you have like him? a tight end like Kate Otten in his face every every play almost, or someone there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's a pretty pretty typical strategy of. Uh, of teams playing against Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the other part of it is is for some reason, uh, you know, kind of side note to this propaganda against Kayvon, is someone out there at some point in time, for whatever reason, uh, has injected this narrative that uh, Kayvon can't do anything except for sack the quarterback. It's not true. <laughs> it's, it's never been true. Uh, maybe it was a... You know, I, I get that some of them saw him sack their quarterback a lot uh, and thought that maybe, but he's been good against the run uh, for a while now. He famously was too good against the run last year, and we didn't use him enough to rush the passer, but he can defend the run. Uh, and so I think the whole idea that if he's not getting sacks, he's not impacting the game is... Uh, is definitely falls in the propaganda category. It also falls in the uh, stupid category. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say. Um, oh, I, I like, like that just, one. It's, a, it's okay to admit you don't know everything about football. Like, that's... Again, this goes back to the hubris. Like, it, I'm very... Uh, both of us are very open about how where we get our information from and the research we do uh you know qb11 and hithleday are pretty much the two people in this kind of organ bubble who like really know their shit and so that's who we get our information from um i'm okay with admitting that and apparently there's nobody like that with UW because they just elect to make shit up instead um okay enough of that i want to stop talking about washington Forever, really, but especially right now. Um, let's get to these Pac-12 results, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, my God. Uh, which, which result was the most surprising of the day to you? I want to start sort of start there. Uh, well, I think for me it's got to be the Colorado game. Because uh, Cal, uh, Cal had a bunch of like injury, COVID stuff that kind of leaked out that made that game pretty scary. Uh, You're referring or, to Arizona beating Cal 10 to three. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, but uh, so, so I kind of expected that more by the time kickoff rolled around, whereas the Colorado game beating Oregon state in overtime was a total shocker. I mean, this is like team where people were legitimately arguing two weeks ago that Oregon State was the best team in the conference and Colorado was the worst. Yeah, that's correct. So that's a pretty big <laughs> surprise. <laughs> um, 
Oregon State did their thing. Uh, they rushed for 220 yards. They passed for 255 yards, which I think is even above their average. Um, Chance Nolan threw 38 passes, which isn't always part of the equation, but I mean, when you get the kind of production you did from their running backs, uh, it, it, that sort of stuff really shouldn't matter. Um, but Colorado's offense was even more surprising. Uh, despite having less total yards, I mean, they still pounded Oregon State five yards a carry, and they carried it 44 times. Um, and then through the air, you know, Brendan Lewis completed 15 passes. Like, not not a lot, but they did what needed to be done. Um, yeah, Oregon State's 100%. one turnover really did it for them. And by the way, like, this wasn't a, a – like, Oregon State looked like the underdog in this game. Um, they were the ones who needed to kick that 60-yard field goal at the end to tie it and send it to overtime. Um, so, yeah, dude, I really don't know where to go with this one. Like, I tried to watch as much as I could before the before and during the Oregon game, but um, did, were you able to watch most of this? Are you able to give a little more context than I can? No, not really, honestly. I was I was pretty much glued in on – I was fully glued in on Oregon. I just was – didn't have the bandwidth to process much else during the game, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, after making their way up to 5-2, and two, the Beavers are now 5-4. and four. So mm-hmm. that's, that is what it is. They've lost three of their last four games. Um Again, after dominating USC and then beating UW in consecutive weeks, they were one of the hottest teams in the Pac-12. They then lost to uh, Rolo's Wazoo on the road in a close game uh, before a bye week, and then they beat Utah impressively, and everybody's thinking, oh, well, this this is a legit team again, you know? Uh, Avery on No Truck Stops is telling us that the Beavers are the best team in the conference still, like you said. (laughs) And then... (laughs) A trip to Berkeley and Boulder later, um, they have two more losses. And they are now back into maybe like being scared about making a bowl game or not. Um, they got Stanford next week, which helps those chances, but you never know with Stanford in general. Uh, and you really never know when you add Oregon State to that equation. So I, what would you predict Oregon State's final record as? Six wins. Uh, I think six and They're six is, ASU, is it. I think they beat us. Stanford. I feel pretty good about that. Um, yeah, Ugh, I'm I'm torn. I'm torn on ASU. The more that I think about it, uh, I trust Oregon State's mentality more. But at the same time, if ASU plays cleanly, like uh, they're certainly more talented, um, and they were. I don't know. ASU is so weird. Like. They seem like they're the best team in the conference for a second there. I guess you can say that about a lot of people. Um, yeah. That'll be a really close one. I feel I feel pretty good about Oregon State being beating Stanford, and uh, they could upset the Ducks, but you know I think the Ducks are going to be a favorite in that one for a reason. So, yeah, um, Gasparilla Bowl it is then for the Beavs. Um, you mentioned Arizona State. Let's talk about their game against USC. 
Uh, like probably many people, what I know about this game is that it was tied for a long time and that there was a fox on the field at one point. And that's, <laughs> that's about it. Did you watch any of it? Uh, only, yeah, I watched a bit in the background, but I, I um, didn't watch it that closely, honestly. Um, yeah, it seemed like ASU just kind of, you know, like that just kind of leaned let, on them. Yeah, let USC hang around, but leaned on them and obvious honest. Eventually, it was enough. Is what I meant to say. Uh, Jaden Daniels only threw twenty passes, eleven completions, one forty-five, two picks, no touchdowns. Uh, Rashad White for Arizona State racked up two hundred two yards on twenty-eight carries for a seven-point-two average, and then Daniels himself ran five times for a ten-yard average. Uh, that right there is uh, usually enough to win you a game. So Arizona State bounced back from that terrible, terrible loss to uh, Wazoo the week before. But the Ducks are going to play neither of these teams this season. This is pretty much as irrelevant as it gets uh, in terms of games that affect Oregon. Um, let's just talk about Cal and Arizona very quickly. Uh, this game was... <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't watch this game because it seemed absolutely sickening. Uh, Garbers was one of the guys out for Cal. They couldn't do anything on offense. Obviously, they scored three points the entire time. And uh, Arizona scores a late touchdown in the fourth quarter to pull out the victory. And they win their first game since since 2018. So that's good for them, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Also notably, UNLV won a game, which means the, those last two teams, Arizona and UNLV, uh, were the last winless teams left in uh, the FBS. So congrats to both of them and Marcus Arroyo for getting his first win at UNLV in like almost as long as it's taken Arizona to get one. So yeah. Uh, did we miss any games? Oh, Utah-Stanford, I guess. Yeah. I think I think we learned that really that Garbers and McKee are pretty valuable players. Both those quarterbacks are out, and Cal and Stanford both look completely incompetent without them. Uh, I think people are going to look at that Stanford-Utah result, and obviously a lot of people compared to the Oregon win or, or the Stanford's win against Oregon. Um, and, yeah, I mean, what can you say? doesn't look good for the Ducks at the same time. That Stanford team was uh, had their quarterback, which is pretty important, against Oregon and didn't against Utah. Uh, and also, uh, Oregon lost their OC the morning of that game. We've been over it. Um, but ultimately, I mean, Utah looks good. Uh, and at the same time, Oregon has a chance to play them twice. So they have a chance to assert you know, who the better team is on the field pretty easily. So I, I don't think it's that big of a deal didn't change how I felt about these teams very much. Um, I want to jump to like kind of our conference talk surrounding this. Before this UW game, we were kind of, you know, setting expectations. Well, continuing our expectations that the Ducks will probably drop one more regular season game before the end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, between UW and Utah on the road and the other two Northwest schools at home, like we're going to, we're going to drop one of them, right? Yeah. Do you still feel that way? Or is it feeling more like we have like a chance 
to drop a game? Like, if you had to predict, would you would you think we're in the playoff or would you think we're in the Rose Bowl? Uh, I I definitely think we're still in the Rose Bowl, personally. Um, I mean, I think that how I look at it, just like super, super kind of basic uh, math here, is you say we have a 75% chance to beat Wazoo in Oregon State and we have a 50% chance to beat Utah on the road uh, to finish this game, this thing. I think those might be a little low, but I think there's they're close to it. So I, I still think there's like a 30 to 40% chance that Oregon makes it through even the regular season undefeated. Uh, but I also, for whatever reason, feel pretty good about Oregon's ability to win a conference championship game because we've shown up well in big games. I'm 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 mainly worried about that. Uh, I'm mainly worried about the Utah game. I don't know if you feel the same. I'm a little worried about Wazoo, but the spread coming out at Oregon plus six or minus sixteen kind of made me feel a little bit better. Uh, and then yeah, I just I'm, don't I'm think we'd lose to the Beavs if we're ten and one. Probably, I just don't think we would. I mean, the road to the playoff goes through there twice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We were definitely talking at the same time at some point there because we both <laughs> cut out for each other. Um, anyways, yeah, I, I'm just kind of where you are. Like I'm a wait and see type thing. I am definitely more confident because this UW game scared me a tiny, tiny bit. But uh, the way we played in that game and the energy that we had uh, when we faced adversity early on gives me confidence. Now, again, like I said at the top, we don't have room to be doing that kind of crap against these teams. Um, every single one of them will want to beat us just as much as UW does. So, or did. So, yeah. let's... Let's just take care of business early and often against you against Wazoo this week, and then we'll reevaluate and see where we're at against Utah. Uh, having having those two at home versus Wazoo and, and Oregon State, I think, is big too and worth mentioning. Yeah, and also, I mean, just to keep an eye on them, Utah play Arizona this week on the road. Not a game I'm concerned about them losing, but I'm just curious to see how they fare against like a bottom feeder. Um, cause the only other like two games we've, we've seen them play against were USC and Stanford, uh, in terms of like just bad teams, um, and Weber state or whatever, like they should, those are both blowout wins. I'm curious to see if it happens against a motivated Arizona team that just won its first game in two years. So yeah, one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I hope, honestly, like for Oregon, if Utah blow, wins that game by a lot, I think there's a chance they come into uh, the Oregon game ranked, too. Yeah, that's true. And honestly, like, they should be ranked right now. Um, I know they have yeah. three losses, and I know one of them's to a Mountain West team and the other's to Oregon State and BYU, but, like, they should be ranked. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, I think, you know, Utah has a good shot of being ranked, and potentially that'll be a... A matchup they get all up for a lot. I mean, not even potentially. They will. So I think Oregon will get their best shot. And uh, also the important thing to note on Utah is, like, they went through a QB change early in the season that completely changed the complexion of their team after losing to BYU and San Diego State. So they're a legit team. Uh, but, like, how legit are they? You know, they're, they're top 20, top 25. 
and a lot of teams in the playoff hunt have had to face these tests and beat them. So I think it's fair for Oregon to have to face one on the road. And if Oregon's legit, then they'll be able to handle it. Is my is my perspective on it. Exactly. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. Um, okay, maybe throw around some other results from this week. Uh, it's pretty chaotic. Obviously, the big helpful result for the Ducks is uh, Sparty going down to Purdue. Purdue's second uh, win against the top three team this season, knocking off I- number two Iowa a couple weeks ago. Purdue play Ohio State this week. Um, I mean, we're not going to do a full Saturday preview, but Reed, how, how do you feel about that one? Is the magic going to end there for Purdue? Uh, I'm you know, I'm not convinced that Ohio State's going to be able to dominate them after what we saw against Nebraska. I mean, that game was very close, uh, as were a lot of games this Saturday. But, um, yeah, I, I heard other people say, you know, Ohio State's path going forward after they lost the game to Oregon early, uh, there's a good chance I think Purdue's ranked on Tuesday, honestly. They slide in at the back end. Then it's Michigan State. Then it's Michigan. Then it's a Big Ten championship game. So they have potentially four ranked games left, uh, the Buckeyes do. Um, so whether it's this weekend or not, you know, based on how they're playing, I think uh, there's at least a very realistic chance that Ohio State drops one of those. The Big Ten West is an absolute bloodbath. Um, you have Nebraska at the very bottom, of course, who's one and six in conference play, and yet they, their three and seven record could very, very easily be seven and three, if not like eight and two, or honestly nine and one. Um, well, okay, I'm okay. Nine and one's a little. Uh, <laughs> the three and seven a, record and nine and one is. Uh, I'm gonna have to stop you there for a second. Yeah. Okay. I, I admit I overstepped there, but what I want to say is, read. Nebraska has a positive point differential in their conference games this year, and that yet they're one in six in those games. <laughs> Absolutely brutal for Frost. Um, but at the at the top of this uh, division in the Big Ten, four teams are tied for first at four and two. Uh, that would be Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, and Purdue. If you had to guess right now, who's coming out of that scrap heap at the top? Give me Wisconsin. They're wow. finally putting it together. Uh, yeah, give me Wisconsin. Uh, I think I like them by, against Nor- Northwestern, obviously. The Nebraska game will be interesting. Uh, I definitely like Wisconsin against Minnesota, so I'll take the Badgers to come out of it. And we'll see where they're at in the end, but maybe they can give, uh, maybe they can give Ohio State a push. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, I think I have to agree with you, although, I don't know, in looking at the schedule, Iowa might have the easiest road to get there. Well, I don't know. There's some bad teams in the Big Ten this year. Um, Other notable results you want to pull from? Uh, Georgia dominated. Bama struggled against LSU. Did you watch any of these? Bama Bama really struggled, man. Bama almost lost. Yeah. Yeah. like legitimately like LSU had the ball first and goal 
down six in the fourth quarter. Like, Alabama is uh, – look, man, it, it's crazy to say this, and we were talking a little bit before the, the game uh, or before the, we started recording briefly, but, I mean, there, are not, there just are not a lot of great teams. Oregon already beat Ohio State this year, and honestly, I'm getting to the point where um, I think they could beat Bama. You know, I don't know if I'd pick them, yeah. but, like, Look, dude, Bama has a bad offensive line, and Oregon's showed up well in the trenches in big games. Like, I I don't know if those groups match up. I'm I'm gonna have to bet on Popo and Dorless and KT to to go to battle with those guys and at least hold their own. Like, I mean, Bama could not get a push against LSU. Uh, for those who didn't watch the game, I'm trying to. Their rush total was really low. I'm trying to look up exactly. Was it what like it was. six? I think it was like yeah. six yards. Six yeah. yards. Like, do y'all understand what we're saying? <laughs> Alabama rushed for six yards on 26 carries against a four and four football team. Yeah, who's already fired their head coach. Yeah, and, like, people want to say, like, oh, SEC is so hard, and, okay, like, yes, it is, right? And, obviously, this is, like, Bama's worst game of the year. So, it's it, we can't criticize them too much for this and then at the same time say that Oregon should be given a pass for their Stanford performance. But that said, like, we do know something about LSU. They went and played a Pac-12 team and lost. Like, UCLA mm -hmm. beat LSU. Uh, and yeah. like Bama couldn't get a push against LSU, LSU couldn't get a you know couldn't control things against UCLA, and Oregon did control the line of scrimmage against UCLA. So obviously that's kind of some transitive property stuff that doesn't totally hold. But if it holds anywhere, it's at the line of scrimmage. Like sometimes you can't you can get a push or you can't, uh, and usually those guys play, you know. Are, are able to or they aren't pretty consistently quarterbacks have a little more variance in their play um, yeah something else that uh may support your Oregon could beat Bama theory is uh Richard Johnson said it again man on split zone duo this weekend uh he once again repeated himself that Ohio State has the best offensive line in the country now I I trust his opinion on that like I'm, I'm willing to do so because he's a very smart guy and he knows mm -hmm. way more about football than either of us do combined. But, mm -hmm. um, I mean, we saw how Oregon played against Ohio State's offensive line, right? Like, we pretty much suffocated their run game. Um, yeah. That's a pretty good sign uh, in terms of Oregon competing in, like, a playoff or Rose Bowl or even against Utah. Like, if we can motivate ourselves to be ready for that type of performance without KT, then what can we do with him in a game that matters? It's going to be interesting. I mean, straight up, like, what is Oregon's path here to win the, these last four games? That's what it is. It's that, it's that front seven dominating the line of scrimmage. Like, that's what it's going to need to be because uh, even, like, the, you know, they did well against Washington – uh, but Washington, from talent perspective, is going to be better on the O-lines than any of the three teams we have left, probably. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, wreck havoc, man. Do 
control yeah. the run game and then you know get some blitzes in there like we did against UCLA and like that's how you disrupt a game and don't let them make it close so that's the that's the kind of like you know ace in the hole that Oregon has here that's like their superpower that they can turn on uh that none of these other Pac-12 teams can watch or can match I mean that's how we beat a favored Utah team two years ago if I remember yep. correctly the yep. Pac-12 title game um all right man any other uh, results you want to point out from this week uh fresno gets blown out so oregon loses that rank game but like who really cares uh because oregon's still in a good spot to control their destiny uh lower end of the sec takes a hit in the rankings with kentucky and mississippi state losing kind of proves that uh the committee uh, i mean i said this like i think the committee just kind of overrated uh some of those back-end sec schools uh and Hopefully that is recalibrated a bit, even though SEC is really good. I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get why Mississippi State uh, and Kentucky were ranked that highly. Uh, I don't really get why Auburn had as much respect as they did when they got pretty handled by Penn State. And that was shown when they got handled by AM. Uh, I'll say on AM too, like, uh, I've been kind of tracking playoff contenders on my Twitter and stuff. Um, a&M's the one team I think I'm going to insert in there that's a two-loss team right now. That A&M wow. has a shot here. Bama, if Bama loses, at, I was going to say it, yeah, they they have the tiebreaker in the West. Yeah, and then you know, I mean, look, you obviously <laughs> favor Georgia, but uh, crazier things have happened. Just not this season yet. Yet. Uh, so yeah, we'll see what happens there. I do agree though. That's a, that's a good shout. You should keep them on your radar. Um, Cincinnati, I mentioned earlier, barely survives against Tulsa. Uh, oh, barely advise. Actually, no, barely survives is, I feel like that's fair considering how that game ended. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that is accurate for sure. Um, is Cincinnati going to drop a game? I don't know if you have their schedule in front of you, but do you see them dropping one? At, some, at any point this year? Uh, let me pull up their schedule, but, like, I think it's basically a toss-up. I think that's what the numbers say, too, if I remember them right. There are two um, hard games remaining. Or at SMU uh, in Week 12, which is going to be, like, the that's the, the weekend to clear your schedule for is Week 12, by the way, November 20th. Um, and then they play uh, East Carolina the week after that, who's not good, but I mean, they're not terrible. And then they have the AAC championship game, I'm assuming. Um, yeah. Which right now looks like they would play Houston, who's 8-1 and one and red hot. Uh, their only loss was to Texas Tech in week one. Um, and they've been pretty impressive so far. So that's just kind of the lowdown on Cincy. I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's cool to be in the playoff race this, this late. I'm excited to see what the rankings are Tuesday. And just kind of keep plugging along. One and no mentality. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Go one and no. Every podcast, one and no. <laughs> every segment. <laughs> I'll tell you what, our, our Wi-Fis are like, have no wins on this season, uh, collectively. <laughs> it's, it's bad, man. Like, listeners can't tell this necessarily, but like, 
we can't hear each other about half the time. Uh, <laughs> I kind of just have to guess when Reed like ends sometimes, uh, if you can't tell. So thank you for sticking with us. As always, we're very broke college kids. Um, any other results you got here? Uh, Stephen Godfrey today said Utah State might end the season ten and two, so that that's cool, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I like that poll. Um, Tulane, bro, what's the deal, man? Y'all are last in the conference. Yeah, it's been a bad, been a bad season. We had uh, some quarterback injuries and stuff, I guess. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I can, I can't really tell you much. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Uh, all right, well, unless you got anything else, I think we wasted enough people's time today. Uh, we're just over two hours, so, you know, pretty healthy pod. Yeah, I think, I think we definitely have wasted enough time here for sure. All right, I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I could barely hear any of that. Um, <laughs> we're signing off. Enjoy the rest of your lives, and uh, go read the articles I posted on Twitter. And uh, go Ducks. Go Ducks.